Good morning. Uh, you know, I, I love, um, sometimes during worship, I just have to stop singing and just listen for a bit because um, I get distracted by my own lack of uh, vocal ability. Yeah, lack of talent, really. That's the bottom line. And um, I don't usually sit so close to the front, so it's just nice to hear all the voice. I mean, there's just something good about hearing other people worship, and not in a voyeuristic way, but just kind of a, just let it fill you, you know, I, I don't know what I'm saying. So anyway, hi, um, Josh Glazer, I'm happy to be able to share with you this morning. I took a look, Jason invited me to come share in this, in this uh, series on hope, and so I took a look back and saw that the last couple of weeks were hope in the midst of um, apathy, hope in the midst of pain. I think in the coming weeks, it's like hope in the midst of torment and certain death or something like that. And I have, I get to come and talk about hope in the midst of pleasure. So that's, uh, I, I think I got off the hook. That, that's pretty, pretty good. Is there feedback? Am I, I'm not blasting you guys? Okay. There's something. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit coming. So let me, um, let me start by going down here and grabbing my Bible because I forgot it and I want to read Psalm 16 or parts of it. It's a nice thing about having a roaming mic. <clears throat> So Jason asked if I if I'd come share about this, um, and this week I'm I'm sitting in my or making breakfast in my kitchen. My son, my four year old son, is sitting there because he's hungry as he always is in the morning, and um, I say, well, let me ask let me ask him because I go to him for all wisdom and and wise counsel. And I said, hey hey newbie, um, what do you think makes people truly happy? Now, in a moment of hesitation, he looks up with a smile on his face and he says, me. And I thought, you got it, buddy. You, you nailed it. Okay. Let me read Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Why, the, the, the initial question we can ask as we're looking at this idea of having hope in the midst of pleasure is a simple one. Why do we need hope in the midst of pleasure? You know, pleasure is what we're, what we're after. So if it's there, if we're already experiencing pleasure, happiness, joy, what are we hoping for? Isn't that what we hope for? Isn't, isn't hope what we use when pleasure's gone, when we're in the midst of pain or isolation or... When there's, when there's nothing pleasurable about our situation, that's when we need hope, right? But in the midst of pleasure, really? 
I think that some of the ways that we view pleasure in our culture and some of the ways that we think about pleasure in our own lives uh, trips us up in regards to this. And it really is an appropriate question. It's, a, it's an appropriate thing to talk about having hope in the midst of pleasure. And I'm going to unpack it a little bit this morning. I think you'll see it's absolutely true. We need hope in the midst of pleasure. We absolutely do. We live in a world that is so confused about pleasure. We are just so confused about it. We're all flipped around. We, we, pers- we pursue it everywhere. And it's offered to us everywhere. You can't turn on the TV and watch one advertisement without there being something that's basically saying, we have, the, we, have the, we have the answer. We know how to make you happy. We know how to give you pleasure. You want it? We've got... You know what? Use our toothpaste. It won't just make your teeth white. It'll make you smile all the time and bring all your friends around. Come to our restaurant, and you will not, not only will the food taste great and be so good for you, but it also it'll gather all the friends you never knew you had, and your waitress or waiter will become your best friend too. This, this kind of this, this subtle underlying offer that we have pleasure for you. We have pleasure for you. And it's not just an advertising. We're looking for it, too. We're looking for it. In the places we go, the things that we do, um, how much we focus on the future as opposed to staying present to the now is an indicator that we're just searching for pleasure. We're searching for it. And then, on the other hand, uh, we live in a culture that is in so much pain. We're one of the most depressed people in history, most medicated people in history, with over-the-counter drugs and prescription drugs and illegal drugs, not to mention the other kinds of ways we medicate ourselves, through media and through food and through work and even through ministry. So we've got one hand that's just constantly reaching and grasping for pleasure, and with the other hand, we're constantly reaching and grasping to medicate the pain we're in. We're so confused about pleasure and about what it means. I want to share a couple of falsehoods about pleasure with you that I think um, are interesting. One is that despite what, what our flesh may want us to think, despite what advertisers may want us to think, what, despite what the enemy may want us to think, pleasure is not it. It's not the center. It's not all that. Um, we, 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 we're tempted to think that it is, but it's not. Our flesh wants to make pleasure the center, the theme. This is what we're after. This is what life is for. So, and, and we buy into this. So let me give you just a couple scenarios, and you'll, you'll hear it in this. If, if I were to say to you, we're out to eat, and I were to say, this meal is fantastic, you would assume that what I meant is, this tastes good. This is bringing pleasure, pleasure to my taste buds. Wouldn't you? Our minds don't immediately think, what he's talking about when he says that this meal is fantastic is that it's nourishing to his body and it's going to do good in the long run for his overall health, right? Or we just don't think that. We're thinking, he's talking about the pleasure this is bringing him. I work in the field of, um, I walk with a lot, a lot of men and women who are struggling with different sexual sins and brokenness. And um, I've heard people say things like, um, you know, that uh, I, I really can't stand him anymore, but the sex is so good. So the, the sex is good doesn't mean that the relationship is good. It doesn't mean that, that I value this person that we're really knowing each other and giving ourselves selflessly to each other. It's not of the quality of what's really there. It's just about the pleasure. And we live in a culture that is, that is I mean, if I could get on a soapbox about sex a little bit, has tried to divorce uh, sex and pleasure so that sex is all about pleasure and it's not about any other stuff that God made it to be about. And all the other stuff is just kind of, it's either nuisance or it's an add-on or it's something that we want to abort if it happens. And sex and pleasure are meant to go together. So we, we try to, we make pleasure the center. We try to make it it. And it's not it. 
On the other hand, we, we make another mistake to think that, that pleasure has nothing to do with our lives, that it's an enemy to us. And some of us have made that mistake too because pleasure we might associate with sinful things. And that's not true. I was thinking about, for, forgive me, I, um, like it, it might just be me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but like if I were to hear the, the phrase, if, I were, if somebody were to say, hey, look, um, there's, a, there's a new store opened up and it's called the Pleasure Palace. You know, I would, I would probably kind of surmise it has something to do with sin. There's something sinful going on there. Um, if somebody said, hey, you know, do you and your wife want to take a vacation to Pleasure Island? I, I'd be like, I, I don't think we probably do. Uh, we're, we're Christians, you know? So we've got this, this other side that, that kind of says we've almost bought this, this idea that, well, pleasure equals sin. I remember talking to friends in college, uh, who weren't the followers of Christ, and they're like, hey, look, I don't want anything to do with God. Like, uh, honestly, I'm fine if I go to hell, because that's where the party's going to be. We have this, this faulty idea that somehow pleasure is just, it's associated with sin and evil. And that's not true. The, our text for this morning, eternal pleasures are in whose right hand? In ours? In, in the enemies? When, when, when pleasures rise or, do pleasures rise or sink? They don't sink down to hell, they rise to heaven. Uh, heaven is, is, ever, is pleasure forevermore. God holds in his hand everlasting, infinite pleasure. Pleasure is his invention. Anybody read uh, C.S. Lewis's great book, um, The Screwtape Letters? It's a series. It's, it, he said it, it was actually a really difficult book for him to write, but it's a series of, of fictional letters from an, an over-demon to a, an underling, his student, who he's trying to teach the ways of, of uh, you know, how, to, how to really bring a human down and how to draw a human away from God. And he has this whole section on pleasures where he says, he says, look, the reality is like, we, we've tried, but we've never been able to make one pleasure. We just don't know how to do it. The best we can do is take the pleasures that God has given and twist them. And twist them. And try to get the, try to get the humans to think that that's what life is about. But we make this equal, this equal, uh, equally damaging assumption when we think that pleasure is all bad. It isn't all bad. Some of us also make pleasure an enemy because we've been so disappointed. Because life has just disappointed us and we've experienced pain. And so when pleasure comes, we kind of look at it suspiciously. Like it's, it's just leading us on until the bubble bursts. And that also is a mistake, to assume that pleasure is just there to, to lead us on and to drop us. It doesn't trick us. Pleasure is God's invention. It's God's invention. And he's got good in store for us. Let me offer some realities about pleasure. Reality number one is that pleasure was made for you by God. It's a gift. Who's given you the capacity to taste or to feel or to touch or to see or to hear or to stand up and walk or to smell? You ever consider an orange? An orange is, I should have brought one. It's a miraculous little thing. And it's, I mean, you could do a study on orange and just learn so much about God's great gift of pleasure and how he's, he's created you for it and he's created the world for it. Because if you, if you look at an orange and you hold it in your hand, it's got this rind around it. You can, you can smell. It's this faint smell of orange. And if it's a ripe, good orange, you're going to smell it. Um, and you can squeeze it, but it's solid. You know, you can throw it from hand to hand and it's not going to break. You throw it on the floor, it might bruise a little bit, but if you, it's solid. You can squeeze it. And then you dig your fingers in and you, you tear off that outer skin of, of, of the orange. And it's still a whole sphere 
it's still all held together by these little, I don't even know what they're called, somebody else might hear, but these little stringy things, you know, that it's all held together. And it's still solid, it's still got a skin on it, so you squeeze it a little bit, and, it, and it, it's a little more delicate at that point. But then, then you can take it apart from there. You can, it's like God's already cut it up for you. You know, you just kind of, you, you pull off a little piece. You know, no knife, no knife required. You can't put it back, but you can take it apart. And that's got a little skin around it. So that's a solid piece too. And when you, when you pull it apart, what happens? There's like a little spritz in the air, you know? And you, it catches you like that. And what happens to your senses? You, you have this kind of moment of like, oh, and, and it's almost like your senses come alive for a moment. And, and you're kind of more awake just for that moment. Oh. And then, you, and then you bite into it. And it's like, once you bite into it, then it's like there's a little drink inside, you know? It doesn't take much chewing. You're, it's, it's just this, this great, and it just goes down. And that's it. Pleasure. God made pleasure for you. For you. It's available to you. And, and we need to know it. We need to know it. Where the, what the enemy wants to do with pleasure when he twists it is not to give us more of it, but to give us less of it. He doesn't want to give us more. He wants to give us less. His lie to, the, to Adam and Eve in the garden was, God is holding out on you. All, all the trees in the garden are yours? Yes. All of creation is yours? Yes. Be fruitful and multiply? And you know what that means? Yes. All of it. All of it. All of it. And, he, and, and what does Satan do? Does he say, hey, look, I want to show you even more? He doesn't. He says, I want to focus you in on one thing. One thing. This one tree. Focus there. Focus there. And they forget. They forget in that moment about all the pleasures, all the gifts that God has given. And they focus on that one thing. And those of you who, like me, have struggled with habitual sin in your life, you know when addiction comes in, when you lose power because you focus, because pleasures become it for you. And you lose the power to say no to it anymore that other pleasures start to go by the wayside. You start to lose them. One, one clue for me in life is this, that um, I love sunsets. You think about a sunset for a moment. Sunset can fill the sky. Yet what artist can do that? Not one. I mean, just one, really. Um, fills the sky uh, from, from you know, one end of the horizon to the other and then, and then up over your head sometimes. Fills the sky. It would take an artist a lifetime or more to even come close, and it wouldn't be anywhere near that. And then a moment later, it's all different, right? And, and equally as beautiful. And, and you don't know, is it going to get better, or is it going to start to fade? I, we just don't know. And then, and then it changes again, and it, changes, and it keeps changing. Um, and there's no sound. You know, God's not going, <clears throat> excuse me, do you see what I did? You, you, can just, you, can, you can enjoy it or not, it's up to you. And one clue for me that I'm grasping for my pleasure in my way, in my time, is when I can't stop and appreciate something like a sunset or a snowfall or something my kids are doing or saying or a deer in the backyard or that first crocus that's coming up through the soil. That's usually a pretty good clue for me that I've got my, my hands wrapped around something else and I'm insisting that it come my way. And when I do that, I lose the power to say no to that other temptation. And I lose my, the sight of all the other gifts that God has given. The enemy wants us fo- our focus to be smaller, not bigger. He doesn't want us to have more pleasure. He wants to have less. C.S. Lewis goes on in his book, Screwtape Letters, in that same section, to talk about this. He says, 
He says, what we want, what our goal is as demons, <clears throat> is to offer the humans less and less pleasure and have them give us more and more for it. To the point where there's no pleasure left at all and they're giving everything they have to it. And we've seen examples of that. There's so much that we go after that doesn't give us pleasure anymore. We think it did, we thought it would, and it just is, it's less and less pleasurable for us. That's what happens when we try to hold on to pleasure and grip it, demand it in our time and our way. So reality number one about pleasure is it was made for you. You were not made for it. Pleasure makes a terrible master. Terrible master. When pleasure becomes our master, people perish. People suffer. Uh, abortion is a great example of that, where we as a culture have said, you know what, we want the pleasure of sex. We want it when we want it, with whom we want it. And we don't want anything to stop us from that. We don't want there to be any commitment with that. And if, God forbid, and I mean that in the, in the most ironic of ways, God forbid I should become pregnant, well, we'll just get rid of that because that's a little inconvenient for me. And I say that with offering, with, with no condemnation or shame to anyone who's, who's ever had an abortion. Christ's death on the cross is, is for you. Um, but it's just one example. Pornography is another example. I work with men all the time who are really immersed in pornography. And there's, it's all about me. It's all about me. The pleasure it brings me. The pleasure it brings me. There's no sense whatsoever about what is this doing to her? What's her life like? And I've done enough studying to know that the, the life of men and women who are in pornography is not a good, happy life. Um, talk about medicated people. They are medicated people who have come from broken backgrounds and who are in a broken industry. And what happens for them after porn? You know, where do they go? Pleasure makes a terrible master. Second truth about pleasure, reality about pleasure, is that it's elusive. It's elusive. We'd like to think that we can package it, corral it, control it. We can't. We can't. You know, I was going to buy a Snickers bar because I love Snickers bars. Like, it's, you know, that's about as close as you're going to get to packaging pleasure. But, the, but you can't package pleasure. Have you ever had this experience? I'll, I'll show you that you can't. You, you go on a vacation or you go to a restaurant, or you get together with a certain group of people, and it's phenomenal. It's one of the best times in your life. This was great. And what do you say? We've got to do this again sometime. And then you, you do it again. And it's just not quite what it was before. It just didn't quite measure up somehow. The food wasn't as good this time. Or, yeah, it was the same vacation spot and beautiful, but we fought more this time. Pleasure's elusive. We, we can't control it. We can't corral it. We can't predict it entirely. And that's troubling for us, especially when we're grasping hold of pleasure and insisting it's got to come in my way and my time, and we're seeking to use pleasure as a way to medicate pain in our lives. We don't want it to be elusive. We want to control it. And that's one of the offers that the, that the, world, that the world gives, is you can just buy this product, get this thing. You can control it. Another clue for me that I'm grasping hold of pleasure and insisting on it in my time and my way, which, by the way, that's, this, is, this is my way of talking about sin. This is what we do with sin. Like it's, it's me grasping hold of something and saying, um, this is going to give me pleasure when I want it, how I want it, and it's all for me. That's, that's our grasping. Another clue for me that I'm doing that is when my children are being children, because they don't know how to be anything else at this point, um, and I miss it. And we get, we get to the end of the night, and, and I'm just... This, these are the words that come out of my mouth. I'm done. I am done. Now that, you know, 
We all have limits. There are times where I am done. But it comes out of my mouth way too often. And I recognize there's something I'm looking for that's not happening in that moment. There's some way that I'm insisting. Pleasure's got to come to me now in this way. It means they either have to toe the line or they've got to want to do what I want to do or they've got to go to bed right now and stop coming, out, coming down so that I can watch my show or whatever it is. That's a good indicator that I'm, I'm in, a, in a place of sin. I'm grasping for something. Pleasure is elusive. Third reality about pleasure is that pleasures here are finite. They're finite. This is important because we are all aching, longing, looking for pleasures that are infinite. Deep in our soul, we want pleasure that does not end, pleasure that completely satisfies. Why do we want it? Because God made us to want it. So the ache isn't bad. The longing isn't bad. But my insistence that this finite pleasure become infinite for me, that's where I get into trouble. Pleasures here and now are finite. Even those most wonderful of occasions. Christmas morning, for crying out loud, is finite. We anticipate, 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 anticipate. And then in a flurry of unwrapped presents and stuffing our faces with too much food, um, it's over. It's over. And, and that's it. And what happens when it's over? We, we miss it. We miss it. I'm sorry you have to go. I'm sorry it's over. I'm sorry we can't anticipate it anymore. The meal's done. We miss it. Even in the best of relationships, somebody moves or dies. And we know it. And some of us, even in the midst of our pleasures, this is where we kind of get hung up on that. It's just here to trick me. It's going to end. And so we hold ourselves back from it. And we don't really engage in it. Some of us may even hold ourselves back from relationships in general because they're going to disappoint me. Even the best of times are going to disappoint me. The pleasures here and now are infinite. But here's, here's truth number four about pleasure. It's truth number one, um, it's made for you. Truth number two, it's elusive. It can't be packaged. Truth number three, it's finite. Truth number four is it's hinting at something else. All of our earthly pleasures are hinting at something else. The finite is hinting at the infinite. It's hinting at the infinite. And it's, it's doing that by God's design. So we have some choices to make. And this is where we talk about the hope in the midst of pleasure. Hope in the midst of pleasure. Um, here are the three options we have. Number one is we decide that we're going to keep grasping. Pleasure, when I want it, how I want it, right now, right now, right now. Um, that's the way of the addict. That's the way we become controlled by pleasure. That's where pleasure becomes the master. Option number two is we hold ourselves back from pleasure. And we say, pleasure is too dangerous. It leads me to sin or it leads me to disappointment. I don't want it. That's the way of the stoic. That's the way of the stoic. And there's a Christian version of this. There's a Christian version of this. It looks good, but it's, um, it's the part that, that never acknowledges pain. It always kind of puts on a face of, everything's good. I remember being at, at church several years ago, and I ran into a Christian brother of mine. He said, Josh, how you doing? And I said, uh, actually, I'm, I'm not doing so great this morning. And he said, well, but how you doing in the Lord? How you doing in the Lord? 
And I was like, well, the same. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing very good right now. It was almost like the message was, you, you, can't, you can't be in the Lord, you can't be in Christ and, and feel anything bad. It's always pleasure all the time, all the time, all the time. It's good, it's good, it's good. Um, in our ministry, we, 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 we say that, that the four-letter F word is fine. You're not allowed to say you're fine. We don't want to hear that you're fine. How are you, do, how are you really? That's what we want to hear. And if you're happy, that's great. We want to hear it. But if you're bad, we want to hear that too. Choice number one is to grasp. That's the way of the addict. Choice number two is to pull ourselves back from pleasure, the way of the stoic. There's a third way, and this is the way of Christ. It's the, uh, it's the open-handed way. And Christopher West in his book, Fill These Hearts, says this is the way of the mystic. The way of the mystic. It's where we open our hand and we say yes to God. We say yes to the pleasures that come, and we say yes to the disappointments and pleasures cease. We recognize that pleasures are hinting at something coming, but this is not, this is not it. This is not the end. This is pointing to the end, and we unite ourselves with Christ in the process. We open our hands. I love that, that, that picture of just walking with open hands in relation to pleasure, in relation to pain. The more we open our hands to pleasure and acknowledge, Lord, I, I can't control this pleasure. This pleasure I'm experiencing right now, I, I can't control it. I can't keep it. I thank you for it. Here it is. Um, and Lord, I, I wish there were more pleasure right now. I'm feeling really sad. I'm opening my hands to you. Eternal pleasures are in your right hand, and I'd like to feel some. But right now I don't. Um, and I acknowledge that even this pain is pointing me to the reality that this is finite, and I'm hungry for the infinite. This is the way of the mystic. So let me very quickly give you five practical steps towards walking this way of the mystic when it comes to pleasure. Number one is is take some prayerful time for self-examination before the Lord. This is the question. Lord, where am I grasping for pleasure? Where am I insisting on it in my way, in my time? And let his Holy Spirit search you and reveal to you. Some of you, you might know. It's the addictions, it's the food, it's the drink, it's the sex, it's the work, you know, whatever it is. Just let, let, let the Lord point it out to you in front of him. He doesn't come with condemnation or shame. Just let, him, just let him acknowledge it and acknowledge it in front of him. Step number two, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verses 7 and 9. He says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. No, I'm on the wrong one. Here we go. Verse 5. The Lord is my portion, my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So the second step of walking the way of the mystic is is gratitude. Um, Anybody read Susan Voskamp's book? Anne Voskamp. Thank you. Thank you. Um, She says in her book, if I can can paraphrase, um, she says... Do you have trouble trusting God? Well, then start counting your blessings. Start counting the gifts that come your way. You'll find out who gives most. I love that. Love that. I have a friend whose life was transformed because she took Ann Voskamp's challenge and she started tracking gifts every day, documenting them, the gifts that were coming her way. Changed her life. Changed her life. Practice gratitude. Number three is worship. Um, coming before God as you are, with all the stuff you're grasping hold of, before God as he is, and worshiping him. And look back in Psalm 16, the verse I I read at the wrong time. That's um, the psalmist worshiping God. 
worshiping for whom he is. And, and for me, it really helps me sometimes to focus on the cross mentally, to think about Christ on the cross. It clarifies who God is for me. And, it, and, it's, and it's hard for me to stand in that place and maintain my grip on all my idols. There's something about coming before the face of God. It's, and I don't mean we just sing songs. It's not a rote thing. It's, it's me coming before the Lord and worshiping. Number four is uh, embrace and accept joy. Let yourself um, enjoy them instead of resisting them, instead of pushing them away, instead of waiting for them to drop. Embrace them when they come as a gift from God. And number five is embrace and accept sadness when it comes. Not if it comes, when it comes. And both four and five, accepting joy with an open hand and accepting sadness with an open hand, these are our ways of embracing this reality that we are living in a finite place, but we are longing for the infinite. And that will continually draw, draw our head up to look for God, to search for him, and to worship him. Um, this isn't a recipe for happiness and pleasure all the time, but it is a recipe for managing pleasure in ways that will glorify God and that will satisfy us in the long run. So let me, let me pray for us to close. Jesus, your word says in, in Hebrews that you, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross and despised its shame. For the joy set before you, you did this. Lord, what, what kind of joy did you know about? What did you know of the joy that was before you? That you were willing to do that for us. And Jesus, you promised us in John that you were going to prepare a place for us. And that if you went to prayer place, you'd also come back and get us and bring you, bring us to you, to be with you there forever. And that if it weren't so, you wouldn't have told us it was true. Lord, what are you preparing for us? And Jesus, you also told us in John that the Father, the Father desires, uh, is, is glad to give us the kingdom, gladly gives us the kingdom. Lord, what is the kingdom he's given? Jesus, would you receive the ways that we've grasped at pleasure. Receive our sin into your cross, into your body on the cross. And Lord, would you lead us in the ways that you kept your eyes on the infinite, enjoyed food and drink and people and pleasure to the full without making it an idol. And Lord, embraced pain and suffering without becoming the, the stoic who couldn't feel any longer. Lord, train us, teach us, disciple us, walk with us, that we might receive life as it comes, not as we would have it, with our eyes fixed, Lord, on the hope that is coming. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.